worship at Hollywood United Methodist Church. We are glad you have joined us on this second Sunday of August. Let us now join our minds and our hearts and our voices together with the summer choir as we sing together. Let us join our minds and our hearts together with our choir as we begin this time of prayer. Let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we give you thanks for these summer days in which we find ourselves at a slightly slower pace, able to reflect more fully on the wonders of your creation. We give you thanks for the gift of patience, which during this pandemic some of us have had in buckets and others of us in teaspoons. And we pray for even greater patience now as we encourage one another to be vaccinated so this deadly virus can be eliminated. 
Loving God, we pray that you might give us a consistent compassion for others. Keep us calm and steady even when the world delivers pain to us. Teach us once again about your redeeming grace so that we may learn, however imperfectly, how to forgive others. Help us to serve as agents of healing to our nation, which is struggling to regain its footing in a time of distrust, pain, and upheaval. May we be empowered to make our communities grounded in your love for our world, places of forgiveness and reconciliation, where love is practiced in practical ways in our dealings with others who need us and who need you. We present to you all who have special need of your grace today, especially those who are in need of healing of mind, body, or spirit. We pray for all those who mourn the passing of our beloved Bishop Beverly Shamana, a daughter of this annual conference who served in the Cal Nevada Conference before retiring here in Los Angeles. May her lifelong commitment to your love and justice serve as a plumb line for our own lives. Always, O oh God, may your spirit remind us that we are among your forgiven and beloved community. We pray all this in the name of Jesus our Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Glad, we're so glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. There are a few announcements to lift up this day. Uh, the first is that on the 22nd, August 22nd, we're going to be having an all-church family picnic. No, worship is not open at that point, but at noontime, come on over, bring a sack lunch because we won't be providing burgers this time or cake. However, bring a sack lunch, bring a picnic blanket, we'll be out on the back lawn, and we will provide uh, beverages for you. So just come and have a time of fellowship uh, with your church family. On August 28th, we will be having a one-day vacation Bible school in the park. Uh, for more information on that and to register, because you must be registered, please email kevin at hollywoodumc.org. On the 29th, Sunday the 29th from 12 to 5 p.m., we are hosting a vaccination clinic here in our parking lot, but it's more than just a vaccination clinic. It is also a ring for the vaccine. We are aiming to have 100 people vaccinated in our parking lot, and for every person who gets a vaccine, we're going to toll one chime on the carillon. It's going to be a great afternoon, a great, wonderful time of building up one another as we try and eliminate this virus and encourage others to be vaccinated. If you'd like more information on this, it's in the chat, and just look for it on social media this week. Uh, but ring for the vaccine. Invite people you know who have not been vaccinated to come on the 29th. And our guest preacher for this morning, we are honored to have the Reverend Dr. Cedric Bridgeforth uh, with us. Dr. Bridgeforth is the Director of Communication and Innovation for our California Pacific Annual Conference. Prior to that, he served at several churches, the latest of which was Grace UMC in Los Angeles. And he also has served as our own West District Superintendent. 
Dr. Cedric, Dr. Bridgeforth, Dr. Cedric is uh, the first elected clergy delegate to General Conference, which means he leads our delegation whenever General Conference will meet next. And finally, he is the author of Alabama Grandson, a black gay minister's passage out of hiding, which will be published and available on Amazon later this month. So I encourage you to buy that and read that. We welcome Dr. Bridgeforth to the pulpit this morning. All that we do here is made possible by you, by your prayers, your presence online, and back in person next month, we pray, your service, your witness, and your financial gifts. We continue to struggle budget-wise, so as you are able, as the Spirit moves you, please give as generously as you can, and there are myriad ways to do that you'll see in the chat. May God bless you.
A reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, to chapter 5, verse 2. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Word of God, words of life, thanks be to God. It is always a privilege and an honor to be at Hollywood United Methodist Church, to be with people with a heart for God, a heart for all God's people. It's great to participate in this CrossFlix series, and particularly today to experience this connection between this reading from Ephesians and this film, Uncle Frank. Now, one of the things a preacher always has to do is, of course, prepare a sermon. Another thing a preacher has to do is make sure he or she is properly uh, attired for the moment. And so when I knew it was Uncle Frank, I started thinking, what in the world am I going to wear? I need to wear something that's just really going to seal the moment. And so I looked around, and I, I found a T-shirt, and it just simply says, Uncle. And on the shirt, it says, Uncle. It's a noun, like a dad, only cooler. See also, wise and awesome. And I said, yeah, a lot of people can wear that shirt. And then I was blessed to get another shirt just this week. And it says, Gunkle. I'll let you work with that one for a while. Because I think it really fits the moment. Well, Uncle Frank is billed as a heartwarming movie set in 1973. It's all about the entanglements of family, the toxicity of secrets, and how sometimes it is difficult to be your true self. In the film, we meet a young Beth Bledsoe. And she functions sort of as the narrator throughout the film, and her life is the thread that holds this tapestry together from beginning to end. She moves from her rural home in South Carolina to attend college in the big city of New York, where her uncle Frank is a literature professor. 
And Uncle Frank is the relative that she is closest to, and we all have those relatives, those who affirm who we are, those who look us in the eye, those who call attention to those gifts and giftings that we would never acknowledge on our own. But while she's in New York, she discovers that her beloved Uncle Frank has kept his sexuality and his longtime partner, Wally, a secret. And after Frank's dad, and I like to call him mean and nasty dad, but that would make me far too judgmental for a preaching moment, so I'll only say that one time. But after Frank's dad dies, Frank and Beth are forced to return to South Carolina, and now Frank has to face traumas that he thought he had left behind. Let us watch this trailer of Uncle Frank. Happy birthday, Daddy Mac. Well, that one's wrapped up so nice, it must be from Frank. Electric shoe polisher. Next. I never knew why Daddy Mac was so wow. mean to Uncle Frank. He was the kind of person I wanted to be. Smart and funny and considerate. You're going to be the person you decide to be. You're going to be the person everyone else tells you are. You get to choose. Can I come visit you sometime? Hi, I'm Frank Smith. Oh my God, Beth, nice meeting you. Frank, don't tell me you were coming. That's because he doesn't know. He doesn't know? Oh, well, okay, this is gonna be very exciting. How do you know Uncle Frank? He's my roommate. Wally and I lived together we have for 10 years. Never known anybody who was gay before. Of course you have. Claw director of church. Mr. Jiggerson? But he's so... What? Religious. Ah! Hey, Mom. You need me for this. You know you do. No, Wally, you're not coming. We can take turns driving. Are you the stupidest man alive? Obviously. Look who I'm with. Did you always know you were gay? I always knew I was different. What's wrong? Wally? Oh, hey. You forgot your razor. You rented a car. Isn't it snazzy? I'd appreciate it if you didn't tell anyone in the family about me. You want to stay by yourself in a motel? Uncle Frank is staying there, too. So is Wally. Who's Wally? What is the relationship between the two of you and the young lady over there? Oh, she's my niece. I'm his nephew. That doesn't sound right. That sounds wronger and wrong. You're not going to run away from this your whole life. Frank! You need to be part of your family. I don't want to be a part of my family. But I'm when you told me I should be what I want to be. That was just bullshit. Now, that conversation changed my life. There's so many moments in this film, particularly for someone wearing a t-shirt that reads Gunkle, so many moments that ring true. 
But there's this quote in the film that just captured me the very first time I heard it, and it held me and continues to hold me today. And that quote, it was even in the trailer. The quote is, you're going to be the person you decide to be, or you're going to be the person everyone else tells you you are. You get to choose. And that quote will guide our sharing today, as I hope it will guide our lives in the coming seasons. See, throughout this film, we see that Beth was exploring what it means to simply be. She was on a journey that many of us has, have acknowledged and some have abandoned. Or others have convinced themselves that they've completed. She was on a journey to discovering her identity and her passions. And what some of you know is that identity is only experienced singularly or as a static reality when we deny all other parts of who we are. Some of you also know that our passions ebb and flow. They shift and change and they wax and wane over time and throughout many seasons depending on comfort, context, access, and understanding. You're gonna be the person you decide to be or you're gonna be the person everyone else tells you you are. You get to choose. In our scriptural text from Ephesians chapter four in the first two verses of chapter five, the writer offers a choice to make and a direction in which to travel. And it leads us to this place or it leads us to this proposition to be imitators of God to be like your creator, to follow the example of Jesus. And that is all a choice that impacts how we show up in the world. And just as deciding who you will be and how you will live your life is a choice, now, well, hold on. Now, DNA, circumstance, hormones, and some other factors come into play, so I'll tread lightly here. But much of what Uncle Frank and Beth struggle with is rooted in their quest to discover and express their true selves as individuals and within community as they understand it. Our scriptural text has our scriptural text and this film pushes us to look in the mirror and we come to grips with our individual realities and they pull us to look out the windows as we accept what we can about ourselves. One thing that I'm abundantly clear about is that all of this life, all that I'm experiencing, all that you're experiencing, it involves us, but it's not about us. It involves us, but it's not about us. This life we're called to live is about community and how we live in community with one another and how we advance the call and the cause of community. Some, like Martin Luther King Jr., called it a beloved community. Another way to say this is that this is mostly about how you will live as a community more than how to be the best version of yourself for yourself. For many of us spend many a days trying to figure that one out. This is about how to bring the best version of community forward. That's a proposition in the movie and, dare I say, in this text in Ephesians. 
And so I want us to consider three movements as we balance, as we do this dance here between Ephesians and this movie, Uncle Frank. Three movements, the first being embrace family, the second increase faith, and the third don't come out. You'll want to hang around for the third one. So let's begin with the scriptural text and get a sense of what the writer has here and what's not here. Let's, then let's look at the art that's laid out for us in this great film. As you look at Ephesians 4, the writer is working overtime to ensure that the reader knows what is required and the logic or the foregoing conclusion if this logic model is followed. If this is about how to live in community, then you can see why speaking the truth to neighbors, right-sizing your anger, honest work, charity for the needy, exchange of grace-filled words, centering the Holy Spirit, and being kind to one another. Oh yeah, and forgiving, as God has been. It really makes for a healthy and viable community. See, this letter is not written to one person. It's written to a community. And it has been passed down through communities of faith since its initial reception. It does take each of us doing our part to make it all come together and for all to feel compassion and to know love, but it is expressed more fully and most generously in and through community, however you define it. And sometimes our community or our communities involves and includes family or family constructs. Because when we don't find family at home, we make it in other places. And I know that sometimes the mere mention of family is enough to end the conversation because of the abuse and neglect like that we saw in the film and like that some of us hold in our memories. But there is also an aspect of family in this film that we cannot overlook or deny. It's that family of choice the community and the communities created in love, for love, and with hope of survival and wholeness. The first time I watched Uncle Frank, I, I, I think I focused in on the biological family a little too much. I, I wondered why they felt the way they did. Why was Frank open with his sister but so close to everyone else? And why did Beth really feel this draw to her Uncle Frank as she did. But as I continue to watch this film over and over, in part and in whole, I see that the extended family, the larger community, has voice and strength in moving the narrative that Frank and Beth hold to be true and fight to release in their lives. But it's when I explored the film more and more, I came to see the source of angst and love that Frank accessed most was expressed through his relationship with Sam as a young man and Wally in his present day. Sam and Wally were also a part of Frank's 
family, his family of choice, his community. And some of you know the challenges and the opportunities that come when you have to make life and find love in a faraway place. You know what it is to move across country or to go to another country so you can breathe and hope to find wholeness. Love of a lifetime becomes a bonus, right? <laughs> but with the absence of biological family, home and security take on different meaning and framings. But the pains and the lessons of those homes and bloodlines seem to make the same trips that we make when we do not deal with them in graceful, passionate, and intentional ways. And that brings us to this first movement, Embrace Family. Or if you look up the definition of family, you'll see that it's a basic social unit consisting of parents and their children considered as a group, whether dwelling together or not. Any group of people closely related by blood or marriage as parents, children, uncles, aunts, and cousins. And we can debate aunts, aunts, aunties, auntie, all that later. But today it's about uncle or gunkle. But it mentions relations and relationships that shape who we are. There is a connection known, assumed, and expressed within a family unit. It's a group of people who do life together. The reality of the matter is that given the mishandling of a few scriptural texts, patriarchal edicts, bigotry, quests for domination and the desire of some to always find a way to have winners and losers, the haves and the have-nots, the in-crowds and the out-crowds. There are folks like you and me who have had to traverse the harsh landscape of heteronormative constructs, make meaning amidst the foolery of politics and laws that try to legislate love. But to do all that, to find purpose on the other side of violence that leaves scars and marks and trauma that may never dissipate. We've been familial nomads who gather together with others wandering in the wilderness or with those stable or faithful enough to call us in and to claim us as their own. We, like Frank and even Beth, have to create and to embrace family as it takes shape. Throughout the film, we see that Beth keeps her eyes and ears open to new possibilities. Her optimism and genuine curiosity is what ultimately leads her to the point where she discovers Frank's real expression of his life versus the one he presented or that she imagined just to make sense or comfort for either or both of them. Just imagine being Sam, Frank's teenage love crush, and I think it was more than just a crush. Sam had to hear Frank tell him that we have to stop now if we ever want a chance to be normal and not to end up perverts. He goes on to say it's a sickness and God hates it. Some of you've heard that before. Some of you've said it before, 
or maybe even thought it. Well, when the it is a part of who you are and you know that to be true enough that you cannot imagine another possibility, then what it communicates is that God hates you. And for some, it's hard to imagine a life or an existence where God hates what God creates. What a contradiction. If anything is abnormal, it is God hating that which God created. And imagine being Wally and being denied by his family because of their culture and religion. You know, religion has some problems. The church has messed some folk up. But not this church. We're focusing on Uncle Frank today. But here's Wally. No wonder he's in a relationship with someone who causes pain to, to him and lashes out at him when all Wally is trying to do is to love and to be loved. We know Wally. We may be Wally. What a gift to have the affection, attention, and commitment of someone who gets you and loves you anyway. To have someone very early in life connect with you and want to see where life will take you. Oh, and that suicide note, that, that note from Sam, I'll never be normal. I am a pervert. Forgive me. It's like the lyrics from that old song, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. And we see later in the film when Wally comes to Frank while he's kneeling at Sam's grave, crying, Frank laments, I have no family. And Wally responds, you have me. I'm your family. You know it. I know it. God knows it. That's all that matters. See, that is strengthening a bond of love and forgiveness. They're being imitators of God. Embracing those who have drawn, drawn near. Those who can know you and love you as you are and love you into being an even greater expression of God's love in the world. Beloved, we can embrace the family God has blessed us to assemble just as much or more so than lamenting those who can and will only pretend to love you if you present them with the person they want you to be. Create family. Call that family community and embrace family. Because you're going to be the person you decide to be or you're going to be the person everyone else tells you you are. You get to choose. Increase faith. As we experience authentic love, that truly, true, 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 unconditional love, that kind of existence where we do not feel judged or 
judge for exploring or expressing our identities, for naming our wants and desires, and accepting that if we are created in the image and likeness of God, that we were not created to conform to the image that you have in your mind or that can be legislated. No, we were created in the image of God, and that is the image that we have to live into. And the writer of Ephesians challenges the readers to rise above the ordinariness of of pettiness. Now, I I have to confess, I can be the best petty patty of them all. I can ride the petty bus to and from your house 24-7, 365 days of the year. But what's laid out here in the text are some clear and practical guidance of how we who choose to embrace family can increase faith. Not just our faith, but increase faith in each other. Increase faith in what God can do. Increase faith in what we can be and who we can be. Increase faith in how we can grow. Increase faith in what life beyond the walls of doubt, privilege, and complacency might be. In the film, Frank is trapped in his pain. He had tried to leave. He tried leaving South Carolina, academia, alcohol, lying, hiding, and he even tried to push Wally away. His pain seemed to be so deep that the only way he could imagine living involved a life of pain, shame, guilt, secrets, and sorrow. I mean, think about it. When when your dad goes to such lengths to ensure that his last words, names how much contempt that he held for you, what else are you to do? Well, in Ephesians 4, 31, 32, which we read earlier, it says, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Hearing Frank apologize to Wally for being a complete jerk, and if we weren't in church, I'd use a different word. And Wally accepting his apology was a direct expression of this text. Wally understood that in order for that family, for that community that they had built, for it to advance, he had to let some stuff go. to let some stuff go so you can move on and so the community can heal and move forward. I mean, some stuff you may have to hold on to for a while. But if holding on to it has not aided in your healing, you could choose to let it go. If holding on has not brought you clarity, You could choose to let it go. If holding on has not allowed you to experience peace of mind, you could choose to let it go. If holding on has not assured you of safety and security, you could choose to let it go. And if holding on has not made you more faithful, trusting, and trustworthy, you could choose to let it go. 
And as you choose you, choose the community, and choose to let go, you can see how God can move and make miracles happen that blow your mind. That will increase faith. Letting go of that which no longer serves you well will increase faith. Admitting that the grudges and bitterness you harbor hinders you and your communities will increase faith. For you're going to be the person you decide to be, or you're going to be the person everyone tells you you are. You get to choose. This final movement, which I told you you might want to hang around for. Don't come out. And I know this one might seem strange coming from me. Right now, in this context. So let me slowly advance through this movement. A few months ago, uh, this article appeared. I don't remember which magazine it was in, but it, was, it, it featured Billy Porter. And Billy Porter was sharing about his HIV status, which was not news to him. It was just news to the world and news to those who were reading. And I was in conversation with my beloved about it. And he said, you know, these people are really, they really just have this wrong. He's not coming out. He's inviting people in. And I had never heard, heard that or thought about it quite like that before. Now, at age 19, I, I wrote my four-page letter, sealed it, mailed it, and waited to see what my mama was going to say about its contents. And I have often referred to that as my coming out letter. But given that she and so many always and already knew, was I ever really in And I know there's an annual coming out day, and I in no way wish to, nor will I attempt to make mockery of hard-fought battles and the scars and shrapnel left behind for so many who did not live long enough to create, realize, and embrace family, a community of love and support. So many did not get to know what a life with commitments and safety was all about, so they did not have the gift of time an opportunity to increase faith in those around them and in themselves. So some may hear me say, don't come out and take offense. Yet what I, am, what I aim to do with this movement is to point out how dangerous and debilitating coming out can be. When what may be empowering, most empowering, and helping us in the activity and the action of centering of self is a life of inviting in. Imagine a life of inviting in more than coming out. And for those of you who've never had to come out, coming out is exhausting to do it over and over and over again. And then to have the individuals or the groups that you come out to to act like they're offended that you haven't shared this information with them before. So when you come out, they 
kind of have a right to make it about them because you've made it about them. But in the space where we choose to be open and honest about who we are, and that goes far beyond sexuality, gender identity, or expression, cultural biases and preferences, and some of the other readily available hot topics. Open and honest space empowers us to issue invitations for folks to see us from closer vantage points. Inviting in versus coming out places me, you, us, and Frank in the power position. I decide who gets an invitation. What you do is on you, not on me. What we do impacts our ability to be community, to make family matter. And not all stories end as this one did, in the backyard, laughing and living on in with some, some sense of joy on the other side of horrific pain. Because if this is a real family, as soon as the cameras went off, y'all know something went down in that backyard. But each story can point in that direction. We get to choose how we will show up in the world. We get to choose who we will love. The option laid out in Ephesians is one that beckons us to show up in the world as imitators of God. And we know God is love and love is God. I have hated and loved myself and things about me. I have lived long enough to know now, though, that we cannot love pieces and parts of ourselves and we cannot love pieces and parts of other people. Love is always in whole. Love brings peace. It does not leave us in pieces. So I'd like to leave you with an assignment to take some time today before you move from where you are and create two columns. On one side, list a few things, two or three things that you have struggled to fully embrace about yourself. Two or three things that you've struggled to fully embrace about yourself. And on the other side, write two or three things that you absolutely love about yourself and who God created and called you to be. And I know that that first list may be difficult for some because our angry, negative, bitter voice often drowns out that voice of love and hope. But make your list and spend some time giving God thanks for that column on the right side. And then go somewhere or get online and order you a t-shirt and celebrate all of who you are. Amen.
Yes, they will know we are Christians by our love. They will know who we are by how we embrace family, how we create community and express the love of God, and how we increase faith in ourselves and faith in one another. And yeah, we have the option, the opportunity, the blessed gift of life and of love, and the opportunity and the gift to invite those in, those whom God brings our way to raise us up, to lift us up as we seek to be imitators of God. Beloved, as you go forth into the brightness of this day, May you go forth, be empowered by God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.